There is a growing crisis in patient access to emergency surgical care. What is causing this crisis and what can be done to resolve it? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Donald Trunke, Professor of Surgery and the former Chair of Surgery at Oregon Health and Science University. Dr. Trunke is an internationally renowned trauma surgeon and considered the father of modern trauma systems. Welcome, Dr. Trunke. Thank you. Today we are discussing the future of trauma surgery. Dr. Trunke, what exactly is the crisis that we describe in emergency surgical care? Well, it's multifaceted. There was a recent white paper in the Bulletin of the American College of Surgeons calling attention to this, and they focused on emerging workforce crisis. They pointed out that surgeons are older. There's a decrease in surgeons providing charity care. There's problems with EMTALA, and, uh, of course, there's the old bugaboo malpractice. But I think there are a number of other problems in general surgery, too. What's that, sir? Well, the interest in surgery is declining. Uh, lifestyle is clearly an issue. People don't want to work those long hours. Gender is a problem, and we have what I call the pogo phenomenon. What's that? Well, most of the readers probably don't remember Walt Kelly, but he was a great cartoonist, and he, in 1971, had a cartoon on the environment, and he said, we have met the enemy, and he is us, and that's true in surgery as well. We focus on this volume performance aspect of surgery. You know, the more surgery you do of a certain kind, the better you get. That's misleading because 15% of the surgeons out there are outliers. They do low volume, and yet they get superb results. We haven't focused on that 15% as to why they're so unusual or what their qualities are that would allow us to get that with every surgeon. So we shouldn't restrict privileges to surgeons who only do one or two Whipples a year? That's what that 15% would uh, suggest. On the other hand, there's no question that there is a relationship as it currently stands, but we've got to change that. Let's get back to the number of students and physicians going into surgery. It would seem to many medical students that surgery is the most glamorous. Why would there be a decrease of students going into surgery, Dr. Trunke? Well, I don't want to disparage the various uh, generations, but clearly Generation X and Y are more interested in lifestyle than they are in the commitment that it takes to be uh, a surgeon. We know that since 1980, the number of people going into neurosurgery and orthopedics is flat, and that's despite there's been a 78 million increase in the population in the United States. In general surgery, the interest in general surgery is actually going down, and that's going to be an incredible problem in just a very few years. Well, what are we doing and our brethren, the American College of Surgeons, doing to try to change that? I think if you look at another related problem, the biggest brain pool that we have to attract people into general surgery would be the female medical students. They constitute 51% of all medical students now, but only 7% apply to surgery. So we've got to change the training programs to make it more palatable for uh, women to go into uh, surgery. 
the University of Melbourne in Australia allows women seven, eight years to finish their surgical training. And so that way they can combine a professional career with a traditional role as a mother. I think that American Association for the Surgery of Trauma is addressing this. We've come up with a paradigm where there would be an, an acute care surgeon where the surgeon would do all emergency general surgery and trauma, and that individual would do shift work. That would make it more attractive to get women involved because they would have a measured piece of time where they would be on call. The only problem with uh, shift work is then you have to solve the continuity problem. That is, when you hand off from one team to another these very, very sick and injured patients, you want to make sure that each patient is examined, the problems are gone over, and you should also talk to the families at that time so that there is this continuity of care that we've always cherished in surgery. But isn't that a very important thing that seems to be lacking in this 80-hour surgical work week for the uh, residents? Yes and no. I think that in many ways the 80-hour work week is probably best for the residents. It makes us focus on what's really important in our residency and how best to achieve that training and learning in that aspect of time, if you will. On the other hand, you and I both know that people get sick at night. They rupture their appendix. They rupture their orders, and people have to be there to take care of them. I guess the alternative, if we're going to have limited work hours, is we're going to have to do this shift work. Well, I remember that one of my attendings when I was a resident, Dr. John Brooks, when we would say we're on call every other night, he'd say, well, that's too bad. You miss half the cases. <laughs> that's very true. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Dr. Donald Trunke, professor of surgery and the former chair of surgery at Oregon Health and Science University. Dr. Trunke is an internationally renowned trauma surgeon and considered the father of modern trauma systems. Today we are discussing the future of trauma surgery. Dr. Trunke, why are there less number of specialists who provide emergency call? I think it gets back to several issues. Number one, lifestyle. They don't want to be available at nighttime because it is uncomfortable, I guess, to have to come in and take care of these patients. I think that it's also related to uh, many of these patients being indigent, they don't have health insurance, and therefore some physicians would prefer not to care for them. And quite frankly, uh, some of these patients can be very, very challenging. They have the worst problems, and to some people, they're threatened by that. Well, what are we going to do in terms of changing this? I think that we have to recognize, number one, there is a problem, and it's going to get worse in the next few years. I personally believe that we have to focus on training programs and maybe combine some of these emergencies into a single specialty. I personally believe that a surgeon could be trained to take care of all general surgery emergencies, neurosurgery emergencies in the first 24 hours, as well as to uh, stabilize fractures 
until they can be cared for by an orthopedic surgeon during the daylight hours. I think that that's doable, but that, of course, is crossing into other specialty boundaries, and that creates problems. I think that someday we're going to have to address this issue if people are going to work hard, whether it's shift work or not, that they're going to have to be compensated. I think that we have to solve the malpractice issue. Unfortunately, we have a very dysfunctional health care system. We rank number 37 in the World Health Organizations as far as health care. And why is that, sir? It's very complicated, but I think that our system is broken. It used to be a not-for-profit system, and now it's become a for-profit. 47 million of our fellow Americans have no health insurance. Tens of millions are underinsured. Our costs are outrageous. The bureaucracy of our system is about 31%, whereas Canada is 3%. We have a fundamental problem with our health care system, and unfortunately, trauma care is a microcosm of that. How do you explain, at least speaking in the Chicago area here, how the number of level one trauma centers has decreased? In other words, hospitals that used to be level one are now downgrading to level two. I think there's two things going on. One, I think it reflects this attitude of some surgeons that they just don't want to do it. It's hard work, and it usually occurs at night. The other thing is, I think the hospitals are starting to question their commitment to care of the injured because it is very costly to do so, but more importantly, they don't get reimbursed. Dr. Trunke, We have great emergency room physicians, but I want to ask you a question on perhaps a controversial subject. Years ago, we as surgeons used to put in all the chest tubes. We used to do all the peritoneal lavages. Really, we did these ourselves. And, of course, the old rule, if you can't handle the complications, don't do the procedure. Now the emergency room physicians are doing so many of the things that we as trauma surgeons can do and were trained to do. What are your thoughts about that? I think in the level one hospitals, the general surgeons and the emergency physicians work as a team. You know, it's not common for a single patient to come in. Usually it's multiple patients, and so multiple patients need resuscitation and some of the procedures you were talking about. And I think we do it in a team effort. The real issue, of course, for the general surgeon is when they have to go to the operating room for a vascular injury or a chest injury or abdominal injury. The level two hospitals, level three and four hospitals, there's no question that what you're saying is true. There, the emergency physicians often do these procedures, and then the general surgeon is either on call or immediately available. I think that this is something that we've done to compromise getting more people involved so that they don't have these terrible time commitments. Now, you spoke about the problems in our emergency room systems and the number of uninsured in the United States. How do the uninsured in the United States, when they fill the emergency room, affect us taking care of emergent trauma victims? Firstly, they have a profound effect because this takes nursing care and physician care away from the patients who may need it the very most because they get overwhelmed. Emergency room visits in almost all big hospitals are going up every year. They basically are becoming primary care clinics for some people and yet they still have this burden of taking care of the critically ill and the injured. I think that this is coming to a festering head right now because we can't keep up. 
A study by the Lewin Group about five years ago showed that emergency rooms are on divert now, up to 75% in a month for various specialties, particularly surgical specialties. So we're already feeling the crunch. MTALA, which was a government program designed to keep small hospitals from dumping on big hospitals, has become just the opposite. They use that as an excuse to send critically injured and ill to cities far away. And sometimes this is at risk to the patient. I want to thank Dr. Donald Trunkey, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the future of trauma systems. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.